Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. The twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Division Winner Special Edition. Brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at Bet Online. If you like to gamble a little bit of money on the baseball or football or basketball or whatever, if you just like to make any sort of sports bets whatsoever, BetOnline.ag is the place to go. They've got every line you can possibly need. They've got so many prop bets, you wouldn't even know really what you're betting. I'm sure they'll have a line on how long the national anthem is going to go. BetOnline.ag has everything you need from all the sports you need it from. If you like to have a little bit of fun and put a little bit more on the line to make your viewership experience just a little bit more exciting than it already is. Maybe you want to bet on the Braves, too, after winning their third straight division title, wanting to uh, maybe win the World Series. That would be a good place to do. Go to betonline.ag. Let them know that the Platinum Sombrero sent you. All right, Doc. So without taking too much credit, um, the Braves have won the division every single year that we have been a thing. So, yeah, I think everybody should send us thank you cards. Um, maybe, Maybe some prayers to us and, and some shrines built in our honor. Uh, I, I think that would probably be pretty reasonable as well as maybe lifetime tickets for any Braves game and clubhouse access. Yeah. If anybody wants to to send any of those aforementioned things to TPS headquarters, uh, I'm sure that they would love to hear from you. Yeah. I mean, this is, we picked a really good time. You know, I think that when, when we started doing the show back in 2018, we knew that we would we would get some time to cover some division uh, division wins eventually, but I mean going three for three over the past couple of years, it's uh, it certainly makes it more interesting. I I think of some of the podcasts that have been around ever since the team was in the rebuild and uh, some dark days. It's it's hard to put on the happy face sometimes when the team's losing ninety seven games in a season. I would have to imagine. So just glad to be on this side of it. And uh, this Braves team. We will uh, have to endure less losses this season than any other Brave season in history, and still make it to the playoffs. Uh, so that's that's just spectacular for me. 
Yeah, I, th- I think this does kind of mean that we're not allowed to ever quit until our streak is broken, though. So uh, we're going to be 83-year-old men still running the same podcast out there, which, hey, you know, whatever. Uh, we-, we sacrifice for the good of all of you. There you go. It's, a, it's certainly a labor of love. But, I mean, when earlier in the series, when the, the, uh, the game where Anoa gave up three runs in the first inning... And then the Braves stormed back and scored four. It was looked like the the game and the whole series was going to be just absolute chaos. And then everything just kind of calmed down from there. And then on in the ninth inning of that game is when Freddie and Dansby turned that unbelievable double play. And it was it actually like it felt like a playoff atmosphere kind of. And I feel like we haven't had a lot of games like that Dude, recently. Recently. I- yeah, I just got to say real quick, that was one of the most incredible baseball plays you'll ever see because Monty Harris was or Harrison was booking. That was a thir- over a 31, I think it was like 31.1 sprint speed per second. That is elite elite speed. It took a perfect throw and a perfect tag and it was absolutely perfection on that play and it was something that the Braves really needed. I'm glad you brought up Wasker by the way. We'll get into this. I didn't mean to cut you off so you can continue. No, so I, I feel like it was. There have been so many slugfests that the Braves have been on either side of. You know, they've won twenty nine to nine, they've won fourteen to one, and then they've lost fourteen to one as well. And so having these games where it's like really tight and it feels like the bullpen is is earning its stripes. You know, it was really good to see a game like that. And and then when it came time to actually go win the division, they got to be on, on the the winning side of a slugfest too. So it was. It's been. Just two games into this Marlin series right now and feeling really good about where the team is. The starting pitching right now, as the Nationals showed last year, it's not about who's the best team. It's about who gets hot at the right time. And right this second, what the Braves starting pitching, the Braves rookie starting pitching in particular has been doing has just been a revelation. And all of the Robbie Erlins and all the Tommy Malones and all the bad starts for Tukey, it's almost worth it now to see some of these young guys stepping up and, you know, all the prospects aren't always going to hit, but they just, man, it's been so great seeing Inoa and Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright and all these guys that, that we have been praying to step in. They've stepped in and they've done really, really well. They really have. And you and I kind of mentioned it in a joking fashion about how apropos it would be for the Braves, these, these starters that were so awful all year to be the ones to step up at the end, but you look at it, and that's kind of the case. When you look at the Braves' rookie starters that we're talking about, the last four starts have been made by rookie arms. The Braves clinched behind three strong outings from rookie pitchers, and in total, one of the big reasons for that is they finally started throwing strikes. Uh, If you look at the last four games combined, you're looking at a total of seven walks from these guys over the last four games combined, which is something that you and I, I mean, seven walks is something that Tukey or Wright were able to do in four innings and starts before. So it's been it's been a really, really welcome sight to see. Ian Anderson on his Saturday start wasn't fantastic that first inning, but he rebounded really, really well. But uh, Kyle Wright put out his third his third consecutive great start, and this was actually his best start as a big leaguer as he uh, threw a one-hit, one-walk gem of six and a third of innings. Uh, we you just mentioned Bri- uh, Wasker and Noah, and I do want to focus on that a little bit because I know we're going to talk about Ian, we're going to talk about Kyle Wright, and I just don't feel like enough people talk about Wasker and Noah. That outing on Monday, it was not what he wanted to see. Um, only went three innings. Now, originally I thought it was just more pitch count based, but it turns out that it was uh, he cracked a nail a la 
uh, Zach Wheeler. But that first inning got away from give up three earned runs in that first inning, um, five hits, and I feel like I feel like three or four of those were in that first inning. Really, might have been all five of them in that first inning. But uh, for him to come out there and settle down and settle in as as well as he did, for Wasker Anoa, he's not the type of guy that's supposed to be able to do that. That that was that's two starts, and I know it wasn't a long start for him, but I was I was almost as impressed with that start as I was his Baltimore start. And for him, that's such a boon to get some consistent command out of him. And then it just bled over into yesterday's outing with Bryce, which was that was the best we've ever seen Bryce Wilson as a major leaguer. Uh, I know he had the the really good outing against Pittsburgh in his debut, but this for me was a better outing. Um, was, was working much more effectively with the sinker and with a four seam as well, uh, which kind of hid the fact that his secondaries aren't really fantastic right now. But he went out there and he challenged hitters and he he made hitters beat him and and they couldn't do it. And the Marlins lineup we've seen. They're not a nothing lineup. They're not powerful, but they're a really scrappy lineup, I think would be the correct term. Like, they don't give away at-bats very often. They do a really good job of, of forcing you into bad pitch counts and do a really good job of hitting with two strikes, as Wasker and Noah can attest to. No no doubt about it. I mean, Miami is a good team, and they they would be in the playoffs. And no, Nobody saw that coming. They've, they've had a lot of things go right for them. And part of, part of what happened with Anoa was – because he's throwing strikes, he is going to get hit more. And he was getting Babip to death in that first inning. You know, yeah, he like, shift wasn't doing him any favors that game. No, no, no doubt about it. I mean, it, I think the the uh, batting average on balls in play in the first inning was like six seventy five or five seventy one <laughs> or something. And you know, when league average is three hundred, you know, some and sometimes you have to wear that. Sometimes you're the pigeon, sometimes you're the statue. But he came back out and he got two straight one two three innings. Same thing with Ian Anderson. Walked the bases loaded to start the game, and then after that, went four and a third and struck out seven. Just completely rebounded. And you are going to have outings like that from these guys. And seeing seeing both of them do that, and seeing that inning against the Nationals when Kyle Wright was just getting the worst luck behind him, and he didn't implode. He put his big boy pants on, he completed the inning, and went back out, and he dealt again. Just... Over the course of an entire season, I would be so curious to see, because normally we have 105 games left in a regular season, so that would put us in in about early June right now. So I'm trying to think over the course of a full season, what a full season looks like for Kyle Wright, figuring out what he seems to have figured out. Now granted, the dominant version of him, that was only the one start. He was good in the in the national start, he was amazing in the Mets start, so we'll see what happens in, in his next start, because he's going to get a playoff start. I have to I have to imagine that, especially with Cole Hamels being out, then he's certainly going to get that start. And I wonder, Wascar Anoa, if you give him a chance to stretch out to where he's throwing 90 pitches over an outing, and he knows that he's really going to get the chance to settle in, what that looks like over the course of an entire season. Same thing for Bryce Wilson. Can, can he keep it up? It just the shortened nature of the season really doesn't give them that opportunity in the same way that they they've had to rely on everything going on at the alternate site instead of instead of going down and pitching it in minor league games so just props to those guys because with the Hamels news we we already knew that the Braves were going to have to lean on these young guys in the playoffs whether whether they wanted to or not and now (laughs) they do not have a choice I mean two out of three of those guys between Wright Wilson and Noah are going to get playoff starts yeah, and this is that's one of those areas where um, I don't think the Braves wanted it to end up being that way, like at all. I think they, uh, I don't, 
let me put it this way. I don't think Cole Hamels was ready to come off the IL and get back to major league pitching when he was. I think he kind of bit the bullet a little bit and just said, all right, uh, I'll, I'll try to, to work on my rehab in major league games just because there was nothing else to go on. And, and it definitely bit him in the, in the backside. Now it wasn't the tricep, which caused him to go on the IL. It was the shoulder, which is what originally was the problem coming into the season. But I don't, I'm not necessarily, I'm not fully certain that the Braves were expecting much of Cole Hamels to even go into the playoffs to begin with, because we can talk about, yeah, he might've gotten himself up to 90 pitches um, before the playoffs, but, I mean, he didn't look like he was that ready to go. I mean, he did not look like he was ready to throw 60 pitches in that Baltimore start. So I'm not going to be angry at the Cole Hamels thing. Uh, some we, we talk about it all the time. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. I mean, sometimes, though, you, you make what, what's a, a good bargain at the time or a potential for good value at the time. Sometimes it doesn't work out. This was just one of those opportunities where, for the Braves, unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. But for Cole Hamels, um, you know, it, it's just... It's not what you wanted to see, but it's not like it's going to hurt in the long run. So it does put the Braves in a little bit of a bad spot for the playoffs. It does make the trade deadline look even worse. But uh, I, I don't. I think it might look worse optically than what the Braves were actually expecting. Because I'm not all that certain if the Braves were actually counting on Cole Hamels to be meaningful in the playoffs anyway. It was so optimistic to assume that he was going to step back in and just be the Cole Hamels of old after having not pitched all year. I mean, in, in a perfect scenario, sure, the the rehab is linear and everything heals at the exact right time. And, you know, in the movie that is this season, then, then he, he gets the MVP and he gets to be the, the crafty veteran who saves the day. But in the end, the Braves paid him a prorated uh, amount of $18 million to get 10 outs and... You know, for as many great signings were made this offseason, Marcelo Zuna, Travis Darno, Chris Martin, Darren O'Day, uh, you know, this is one that just didn't work out. And we have kind of pontificated on whether or not, you know, how much is Hamels really influencing Max Freed. And Freed took some steps forward last year, and this year he's looked just like a completely different guy, even for him. Is that the Cole Hamels effect? Uh, maybe so, maybe not. Maybe he taught him a new grip on something or just gave him some tips on mindset and kind of worked as like a passive pitching coach. And uh, whatever the prorated version, like $6.7 million, we'll just use that. You know, if, if the Braves paid... Cole Hamill's almost $7 million to teach Max Freed the change-up grip or teach him how to navigate through a lineup the third time through, well, we can debate as to whether or not that was an effective use of money. But, you know, sometimes it just takes something like that for guys to unlock something in the same way that Josh Tomlin has has helped A.J. Minter and has helped Kyle Wright with with a couple things. He's kind of serving as a, as a makeshift pitching coach, too. So uh, help comes in all forms, and I guess that's all we kind of got out of Hamill's for this year. Well, I mean, when you talk about how, how much of an effect did, did uh, Cole have on Max, Max has talked about it himself, that uh, Cole's been a, a huge piece for him, just to be able to to bounce things off of after starts. To He says he texts him all the time uh, just to, to talk different grips and just to just discuss uh, strategy and attack. I mean, we I've mentioned it a few times that Cole is a very close comp to what I think Max Freed is anyway. So to have somebody that's a lefty like Max, it's that same type of long, lanky body style as Max. Now, Max has better velocity than Cole ever had, but to have a guy who was also had a, a top-notch breaking pitch who kind of had to pitch backwards because it was the off-speed that was better than the fastball, I think that's immeasurable for Max Fried, and I think, that's, I think it's very good for Max to have had somebody 
who's a little bit more like him to be able to bounce things off of. And I think we've saw it sped up Max's development. I mean, you and I mentioned before this season even started that we thought and we still think that Max is the best arm of all these Braves young guys, that Max is the guy that we think can truly be like not the quote-unquote ace of the staff that everybody likes to say, but an actual ace. And I, you and I mentioned that we didn't think it was going to be this year. We thought it was still a year or two away. But if, if Cole helped Max get to that level a season faster, then it was worth the money, and it was worth the investment anyway. You talked about Marcelo Zuna, who, by the way, we talked about Freddie being an MVP last week and how he's most definitely should be the MVP. Marcelo Zuna does not get nearly the amount of love, not even just from like national guys, but from Braves fans too, and us included. Like I don't think you and I have ever mentioned Ozuna's MVP case, but Ozuna has some sterling numbers, man. If Marcelo Zuna could play defense, he would be the front runner. I think of the MVP conversation because he's got he's got those big gaudy sexy numbers you know he's leading in home runs now and he's leading in RBI now and these traditional stats like it's if it was 1964 Marcelo Zuna would be winning the MVP but I mean I think I think the defense is is the place where it really holds him back and he he does make some bonehead moves out there and he takes some preposterous routes that don't need to be what they are but can you imagine, I was thinking about this earlier today, can you imagine how different this season would be for the Braves if the uh, National League had not adopted the designated hitter? Can you Ooh. even imagine? It would be a much worse place. And it just goes to show, by the way, and I, I don't want this to come off as condescending or anything because I actually know there's a, a lot more people have come around this year after finally seeing the DH and being like, you know what, this is pretty awesome. I hope we keep it. And that's something that you and I have talked about for a while on this show is it tends to be that the people that are anti DH are just people that haven't watched the DH. And now that you you've got people being able to see what it's like for the Braves to be able to have a Marcelo Zuna and not have to have him play defense every single night. It's a big deal. It really levels the playing field. And not only does it level the playing field for like the teams in the NL and the AL, it levels the playing field as far as free agency and who you can acquire. Now you don't have to wonder, can this guy play enough defense for me to roster him on a, on a, you know, on a NL team. Now it's, if this guy is only good at hitting, he's going to make my team better by hitting every day. So, uh, I, the, the DH has been a godsend in a year. That's had a lot of crazy and ridiculous and stupid rules. Like the runner on second base to start extra innings. Um, the, the DH in the national league has been the absolute has been my favorite rule. I do like the three batter minimum, but the DH has been the thing that baseball has needed for a long time in the national league. Very much agree. And when you think of something like the 2017 season, when Freddie came back and went and played third base so Matt Adams could stay in the lineup, you don't have to do that when you have the DH. Or when when Matt Kemp's knees just completely went haywire, you know, you can you can still plug him in at bat. This is back when he we can when he could uh, still hit. I, I was looking up his numbers today. Uh, even playing in Colorado, he he has totally lost his ability to hit. But I mean, that's something that that you think about at the time. And personally, the th yeah, I love the three uh, three batter minimum rule as well, and I like the runner on second. I thought I was going to hate it. I actually think it it's immediate pressure on the on the defense and the pitching. And like with this Phillies Nationals game that uh, wound up being the precursor to the Braves actually clinching was it went into extra innings in the eighth, which is weird. And Phillies had the runner on second, came around to score, and then I was like, oh man, I guess, you know, maybe the division will have to wait one more day, and then the Nationals hit a two-run home run in the bottom of the inning with uh, with nobody out, because they, they got staked the runner as well, so I mean, it just, it adds a completely different dimension to uh, ah. 
the extra innings. I know. I, and uh, I thought I was going to hate it. does not bother me. I hate it so much. I cannot even begin to describe to you how much I hate it. I <laughs> like the seven-inning doubleheaders. I didn't think I'd like that. I thought I would hate that because it's not real baseball. But I like that. I do not like the runner on second base. One, it doesn't shorten the time of games at all, which is the whole reason it was proposed. It doesn't shorten the time. Actually, baseball games this season have lasted longer on average than any season in history. I believe it's like three hours and five minutes per game on average. It's lasted longer than any. Um, I, 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 it just seems Bush League and Little League. I, just, I don't like it. I'm glad they won't be doing that in the playoffs this year. Uh, I, I do not need that at all. Um, but, you know... We talked about 2020 was the right year to try all this stuff and, and see what stuff took. Um, I'm I'm not a big fan of expanded playoffs. You and I have talked about that a fair fair amount of times. I think expanded playoffs are stupid. And I think it devalues uh, the regular season, which for baseball, it's really the only sport that the regular season is is that important. You can talk about the NFL, but really it's the same thing. You got half the teams in the league make the playoffs, so you just have to be 500 or maybe a game above 500 to get in. Baseball was the one sport left besides like college football where you had to play and the teams that got into the playoffs were the team were, were the best teams, undoubtedly the best teams in, in the sport because you had 162 games to decide. I mean, you, the cream would rise to the top and you'd have the best playoffs. You'd have the best quality of playoffs because you would have the best teams in there. I don't like expanded playoffs. Uh, I can't remember if you and I were talking about this or if I saw this from somewhere else, but I do think that it's a precursor to expansion. So I do think that has more to do with the fact that the that MLB is planning on moving into what I would just guess would be Nashville and Las Vegas here relatively quickly. And having getting people used to expanded playoffs now would make it a little bit more of a seamless transition. That when you add those two teams in, you'll be kind of right back to where the playoffs were uh, like last year, where it's, it's still got the two wild cards, but you add the two extra teams in there and it ends up kind of being the same number. Uh, I, I'm just I'm not a big fan of lessening the value of your regular season, especially baseball, where the regular season is so important. I don't want it to be the NBA where nobody cares about the regular season because every team makes the playoffs. Yeah, and and this year I think the the format is is kind of problematic. Like, there's no reason for the Dodgers to be playing in the first round. You know what I mean? Like the the wild card should should strictly be amongst the wild cards and. You should be rewarded for being being the best team in all of baseball and having the best record. You shouldn't have to play in the first round. So I think if they are going to keep expanded playoffs, which it kind of seems like they're going to, then they could tweak the format. They could have less teams. They they could find a way to, to actually make it work. But as it pertains to this year, it's still up in the air who the Braves are going to wind up playing. So maybe they're the two seed. Maybe they're the three. I don't really know how much of a difference it's going to make. But if it were up to you right now, who would you want to face in the playoffs? And who do you think is the best matchup for the Braves? I said this on Twitter. I want the Cardinals. Uh, I don't really care if they're the best if they're the best matchup. I don't care about their devil magic. I want the Cardinals. I want to rip their hearts out through their throats, show it to them, and then kick them down a flight of stairs. Uh, I want to run up 30 on them. I want to sweep them. And then after the sweep is in hand in the last game, I want to hit Yachty. I want to have somebody throw the ball at Mike Schilt. I want the Cardinals. Are they the best matchup? I mean, yes, uh, talent-wise, they're the best matchup for the Braves to play. The Cardinals aren't good this year. They don't have a good offense. Paul Goldschmidt's kind of fallen off a cliff. They're pitching. They've got Jack Flaherty, but that's that's really about it as far as their pitching goes. Um, you can talk about the Reds because they're not great at making a lot of contact, but their pitching in a short series should worry a lot of teams. And I know their bullpen's not great. 
but Bauer, Castillo, and Sonny Gray are all guys that can go really deep into ball games. And they've got guys that can hit a lot of home runs, and that is always an equalizer in playoff scenarios. So I know a lot of people are going to say the Reds are the best matchup for the Braves because they aren't a great offense at putting the ball in play. But I think the Cardinals probably match up the best for Atlanta, and I really I just I just want to tear the soul away from the Cardinals. No, I, I totally get that. Uh, yeah, it would be nice to to go in there and, and face your greatest fear pretty much instantly. And it's it's kind of looking like uh, that could be a scenario. There's a really important series that is coming up uh, to close out the season. And it's a five-game series between the Cardinals and the Brewers. Because the Brewers are on the fringes, too. With the Phillies bullpen doing what the Phillies bullpen does... Um, they have backed themselves out of, I don't want to say completely out of playoff contention, but they've, they've made it really hard for themselves. So you're going to see a lot of shuffling amongst the seeding, especially when you've got two teams that are, that are vying for second place in the, uh, in the NL central and also for a wild card spot. And you do have the reds in there as well. It's entirely possible that you're going to see, uh, you're going to see a, a, a number of teams from the NL central just being complete cogs in this situation. Um, I think I would like I would like to face the Cardinals, but I also think that there is kind of some merit in facing the Marlins. And the only way the only two ways that this can happen are if the Braves are the three seed and the Marlins are the six seed, or if the Marlins fall so gloriously that they get leapfrogged by the Phillies and find themselves in a wild card spot if the Braves are in the two. Now the Marlins are a really good feel-good story, and their lineup is good, and their pitching is good, but they also look like they're kind of getting to the point of the season where they look tired to me. They look like a team that's been playing over their head all season, but now that, you because know, they had that big break, and they've had to make up all those games now. It's a similar thing to why I'd really like to face the Cardinals, because they're having to make up all of these games after having a lot of time off and just cram them all in on the back half of the season. Like, they might have to go to Detroit after the season is over to play even more. So I want to, I just want to win the first round because I think that kicking that door in would be a really good first step, and you you want to face a weak team, kind of. And I, I get the feeling that the, the Marlins and the Cardinals in that scenario might be kind of weaker teams. But honestly, I don't care who it is. It, it, let it be the Reds. Let Give us Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer and Luis Castillo. Let's see the best pitching that, that they've got. Let's see it. You know, we, we can hit them. No doubt about it. Yes, our pitching can be bad. Yes, they're... The Reds lineup can be dangerous when it is on, and they are due for a lot of positive regression. But they got to get there first. With the Brewers, they got a lot of guys that are underperforming, and they're pitching. I mean, is it that much better than ours? You know, they've got some really good pieces, but they're still on the fringes, and we got this all world lineup that I still think can hang with anybody. So uh, I'm going to go for the, the complete. Um, chaotic scenario of the Braves winding up in the two spot, the Phillies leapfrogging the Marlins and getting the six spot and getting slaughtered by the Cubs. And then the Braves facing the Marlins and advancing to face the Cubs in the next round and then beating them. It's funny that you mentioned the Marlins because they're the type of team that would worry me in the playoffs just because, and I know they do, they definitely do look tired. um, And you do wonder how long that Cinderella story can go, but they're such a young team that they're one of those teams that if they get on a roll, like we've talked about with the Braves in years past, they're, they're, there's a lot of players on that team that don't really know that they're not supposed to be good. 
That, that makes them a little bit dangerous. Sixto Sanchez, I know he's had a, a bad start or two, but he's so, so talented and can be so dominant. I don't really want to face him. Now that you mentioned the Brewers, I mean, they would obviously be the best matchup. That Brewers team, aside from Brandon Woodruff, that team is awful. Um, they would be the easiest matchup. I just I just want to suck the heart and soul out of the Cardinals, and I want to send them off in embarrassing fashion and really put 2019 to rest, really exercise that demon. I don't care about who we play in round two. I'm not going to look ahead to round two until we get out of round one. It's been 20 years, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to count my chickens before they hatch. Let's see the Braves get to a second round before we start picking out who they'd like to play. But I will tell you that the team that would worry me the most would actually be San Diego. That's the one team that I don't want to see until I absolutely have to. Uh, I think that they are a very, very strong team. Uh, I think that their Tatis has not been good in September, but you know that's going to change. He is too talented of a player to continue to struggle. They've got a really strong lineup. They've got some really good pitching. I know Clevenger got pulled today, which is a little bit scary for them, but they were really good without Clevenger, and they can be really good without him no matter what. They're just a really, really strong ball club. No doubt about it. I think they're pretty comparable to the Braves, actually, just relying much more on their offense and on their pitching. If I'm not mistaken, they've got five guys in the top 30 in all of baseball in uh, F4. So, I mean, their their lineup is deep. They are, they are absolutely deep. Um, before we go any farther, I just have to remind everybody that we are brought to you by Armchair Media. We are also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. There's only one week left in the, in the baseball season, uh, so go to BetOnline.ag. You can set yourself up for a massive payday. Uh, you can do that on possibly the Braves making a deep playoff run, the Falcons blowing four more 20-point leads because it's kind of what they do. And you can even put some money on the NBA playoffs because they're still somehow going on. We are also brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium, as well as the fine folks at Manscaped. The Braves won the division. They are the champions. And since you are listening to this show and likely a Braves fan, then you, by proxy, are also a champion. And what do champions do? They maintain an acceptable level of body hair, not just in volume, but also in cleanliness and in edging. And what better way to show off metaphorically, of course, that you are a champion by using Manscaped for all of your grooming needs. So do what winners do and deploy the usage of the Lawnmower 3.0's skin-safe technology and ceramic blade that'll keep your man parts blood-free. The Crop Reviver and Preserver will have you smelling victorious south of the border, and a successful performance with the Shears 2.0 will have you gunning for a repeat, or maybe even a three-peat. Go to manscaped.com, that's where you want to go, use the promo code armchair for 20% off your order and free shipping. It's the most surefire way to feel like a million bucks while you're trimming your corn purse that is manscaped the news about mike clevenger is really interesting because he had been dealing with everybody wants to focus on uh, everything that happened with him breaking protocol and being taken off the indians active roster earlier in the season but he he had a late start as well and so he has had a very chaotic 2020 and that's that's massive for them i know people were mixed on what the return was uh, for the trade, and they obviously would get him for more than just this year. That's why they gave up so much volume in that deal. But beyond that, like I said, they're comparable to Atlanta. So you can you can try and look at their weaknesses in a very similar way that someone would look at the Braves' weaknesses and say, if you can get to the pitching, then you're probably good, but you are going to have to have to fend them off. If the Braves and Padres were to meet in a series, whew, that could just be legendary amounts of offense in that series. Could also be some legendary matchups when you have Denelson, Lamette matching up with Max Freed. And Lamette doesn't get a lot of the Cy Young love this year, but Lamette has been incredible this season. Uh, it's harder to see on the West Coast unless you're stamped to watch those games. But yeah, that would be 
that would be a fun NLCS series. Like that would be a really, really fun series. And I, I love the Padres ball club. Um, all in all, that would be good. So I don't really want to face them until we absolutely have to. But I know we're running short on to, on time for today's episode. So I do want to get to a couple more things really quickly. First, first thing, just uh, really quick, one minute, maybe two minutes on this. Marcelo Zuna. Is this the end of the Marcelo Zuna era in Atlanta, or is he back next year? I think he's gone, unfortunately. Um, I think teams are going to be very conservative in free agency. Uh, but I think that he has done enough to prove that with the DH being a viable option for the future, then he's a guy that would make any team better. Doesn't matter who it is. And some deep-pocketed team is going to make him a very rich man. Then again, he fits in here so well. The Braves can afford to probably not pay him as good as the Dodgers could, just to use an example. But he is thick as thieves with Ozzy and Acuna, and he is just... I feel like he belongs here, but it's just a question of, is he going to prioritize winning a World Series? Because he can certainly do that here, or is he going to prioritize a payday, which he's been waiting for his entire career? What do you think? My first guess is that they're not going to let him get away because of how seamlessly he's fit into this. Now, you bring up a lot of good points as far as the money. Um, Liberty Media could certainly say, hey, we don't want to spend a lot of money after such a a bad season financially. Uh, You and I can argue about if that season has really been this bad financially, or if that's more of a, a numbers thing. But uh, I think that if the, I think the Braves will offer him a three-year deal. I think if somebody goes above three years and I think Marcel is gone, but I could certainly see the Braves floating around something like a three and 60 or a three and 66 for, for an example. I think that that would be rel- I think that would be a, a relatively easy feat to see seeing as he's not going you're not going to plan. You're not going to pay him as if he's going to be an everyday left fielder. You're going to pay him as if he's the DH, and that is going to take the money down a little bit. Um, maybe this is just me being hopeful because I have already gone back on my word saying that I wouldn't say that the Braves would sign anybody until they actually did. I, but he just fits the lineup too well. He fits a lot of the things that the Braves want. I know they were really trying to bring back Josh Donaldson until the Twins gave him that gigantic deal, which, by the way, looks pretty horrible in hindsight. But with Marcelo Zuna, I just I, I can't see the Braves letting him walk without a guy that you can immediately plug into his spot in the lineup. So I'm, I'm going to say that Marcel's back. I'm not super confident. I would say I'm about 60-40 about him being back versus him being somewhere else. Um, but that does bring me to the next point, something that we do have to mention before we end the show today. And that's just giving Ozzy Albies a little bit of love. Uh, we talked about it last week, about how good Ozzy's been since he's come back. But he has really been absolutely incredible. He's picked up right where he left off last season, which kind of leads you to believe the, the no spring training hurt him a lot. And then the wrist definitely hurt him some because he is back to pulverizing the baseball. And he's actually hitting very well left-handed, which is really, really nice to see. Yeah, with the, with the wrist, right before he went on the IL and he was he was taking, uh, taking all of his at-bats left-handed because he was really hurting from the right side. and uh, I actually just... wonder if his wrist hurting and him only being able to bat lefty, if that allowed him some time to devote to just hitting left-handed and trying to maybe equalize that that weaker side a little bit more. Maybe. I mean, it honestly looks like, one, it looks like he was never hurt at all. And it also kind of looks like he's unlocked this completely new level of Ozzy, which even if last year was the best year of his entire career and it was just all gradually downhill from him, I would say that's okay because that was a really good peak. <laughs> But, yeah, you I know? mean that's that's a five war peak essentially. That's it's hard to it's hard to accrue five war, especially as a second baseman. 
And with what he's done since he came off the injured list, granted it's been 13, 14 games or something, but I did the math two days ago, and he's tracking, over the course of an entire season, that's tracking to be a 9.5 war season. I mean, that's that's elite. That's trout-level stuff, you know? I mean, now, you have to hold it up over over 148 you have to hold it up games over more than two weeks yeah right so obviously you're making a lot of assumptions like he can keep that up but you know any of the guys that were that we were worried about that were slumping they seemed to be kind of coming around Freddie snapped out of it Dansby snapped out of it Acuna's snapping out of it and Ozzy's back and he's hitting lights out so just just gotta maintain for one more month that's it a week from now we're, I mean, we're recording on Wednesday the 23rd, so a week from now is when the NL wildcard series starts. So they just hold it, keep it going for a little bit longer. Let's just cross our fingers as hard as we can. This, I'm not convinced, man. I keep looking for reasons to be super pessimistic, but I just keep coming back to why not? Why not us? Why not now? That's fine. You can be that way for both of us because I'm going to go the other end. I'm going to not get super excited until we get out of the first round, and then my excitement meter will jump off the charts. But for for the Braves right now, this lineup has not been deeper than it is right now, and that's a good sign for Atlanta as the starting pitching is rounding into form. The bullpen has been really, really good with the you know a couple caveats in there. Luke hasn't been great. Dayton's kind of fallen back to earth a little bit. But for the most part, the bullpen has been absolutely elite. The defense has been very, very good, as it normally is. Uh, Riley is showing some super soft hands at third base. All in all, the Braves are in a really good position, finishing out the year as they head into the postseason. And for us, I think we're rounding into form quite well for playoff baseball as well. It's always a lot more fun to do playoff episodes when the Braves win in the playoffs as opposed to lose. Uh, It'll be a new experience for us if the Braves are able to win the first round. You and I will have a celebratory, super fun show. That might be the episode that... We got to get one together where we uh we might do one of our live episodes uh, during a playoff. We might do our play by play episode during one of the playoff games if we can find a way to swing it. But all in all, we got a, a few different things that we're working on here at TPS and at Armchair Media. Uh, I know you guys are working on some stuff as well. Hopefully, you guys enjoy the game tonight. Hopefully, the Braves are able to get everything into whack, uh, get everybody else enough work to stay warm without causing anybody any serious injury, and get the whole team rounded into form as we head into the playoffs. So for us, that's going to do it here for us this week on the Platinum Sombrero. Hopefully, you guys have a great time. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the episode, and we'll be back same place, same time, same day next week. Go Braves! Thanks, bye! Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.